Uh, Genesis 32, verses 1 to 12. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanam. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have, re have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two, into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I'll make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Now I'll turn to verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. It's a strange little story there in chapter 32. We have the account of Jacob preparing to meet his brother Esau. And then we have the account in chapter 33 of, God, of Jacob actually meeting with his brother Esau. But in between is this strange little story where God appears as a man to wrestle with Jacob. Now, I want you to turn to the person next to you and have a stab in the dark, if you must. Why do you think God did that? It's okay if you don't know the answer. I've read this passage for years and I didn't think I knew the answer either. Have a go, 30 seconds, chat to the person next to you. Why does God wrestle with Jacob? 
Looks like some of you have got it all worked out. I'm really, I'm really glad. I'm going to be honest, I've, I've heard this story a lot of times in my life, and, and I don't think I ever really understood it. I don't know why God wrestled with Jacob. It, it's strange in, in a few ways, but I think it, it's strange because it doesn't seem like something that God would do. I, I think that most of us, when we think about God, when we were to think about God's character, the, the things that typically come to mind are God's love, His grace, His mercy, His patience, His kindness. And, and these are all true, but sometimes I think we can actually get stuck with this image of God as a polite old man who sits quietly, who doesn't want to offend, doesn't want to upset. A God who sits quietly and waits for those who are interested to come and find him. A God who is passive, a mind-your-own-business kind of God. But if that's the view of God that you have, well, our passage this morning just blows that to pieces, doesn't it? Because that's not the God that we meet in Genesis 32. It's not the God of the Bible. Here in our passage, we have a God who wrestles now, you may have a hundred questions about this passage, but what we can be sure of is that God comes and fights with his own child. He opposes Jacob. He even injures him. And I expect that for a lot of us, that will be at least a little bit unsettling. It doesn't sound like the God of the Bible, the God of love. But this morning, it's my aim, firstly, to show you why God wrestled with Jacob. Secondly, I want to show you how the God who wrestled with Jacob might also be wrestling with you. And thirdly, I want to show you that God wrestling with his children is actually good. It is just one more way that God shows us his grace. That, that's our goal for this morning. Genesis 32 and 33 is our text. So keep your Bibles open. But how about I pray and ask that God would give us understanding of this interesting little episode. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we ask now that you would give us minds that can understand it. But more than that, would you also give us hearts that are moved to trust you because of what we understand. Lord, help us to get to know you more Help us see your grace to us, your children. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you grabbed an outline on the back, you can see I've kind of split Genesis 32 and 33 into four scenes. Each scene where Jacob meets someone. And so we begin in scene one where Jacob meets God. It's up there. Now, just in case you've forgotten... Uh, Jacob is the man that God chose to use to fulfill his plan, to bring his blessing to his world. And Jacob is a somewhat surprising choice for that job because Jacob is just terrible. He's a lying, cheating, scheming little thief. His name means heel grabber and he's spent his life grabbing at people's heels, pulling them back so he can get ahead. Which means that everywhere that Jacob goes, he leaves a trail of relational carnage. 
The carnage began back when Jacob lied to his dad and cheated his brother Esau, and Esau became so angry with Jacob that he wanted to kill him. And so Jacob had to run away. He went and lived with his uncle Laban. And last week we saw that Laban got so angry with Jacob that he wanted to kill him too. Everywhere Jacob goes, he just leaves carnage. His life is messier than two-year-old Josiah eating nachos. But God continues to work on Jacob. And despite all Jacob's failures, God continues to stick with Jacob. He keeps loving Jacob, he keeps helping Jacob, and in the beginning of chapter 32, we see God continue to remind Jacob that he is with him. Now, we're not told much here, but in verse 1, we read that God sent his angels to meet with Jacob. Now, we can assume there was a large number of angels because Jacob calls the place Mahanaim, which means two camps. In Jacob's mind, there is, there is his camp, he, his wives, his children, his servants, all his flocks. And then there is God's camp, an army of protecting angels. Now, if Jacob ever doubted that God was with him, well, he now has a visible assurance of God's presence and protection. He sees God's angels. And that comes at just the right time, because in scene two, we see Jacob is preparing to reunite with Esau. Now, the last time we saw Esau was back in chapter 27, and he was angry. Jacob has just tricked his dad into giving him the blessing that he was going to give to Esau. And the only thing that gives Esau any comfort was the thought of killing Jacob. And now Jacob's coming home. Well, verse 3, Jacob sends a messenger ahead to let Esau know he's coming. He's hoping that Esau might receive him favorably. It's been 20 years, maybe he's settled down. And in verse 6, the messengers return and they say, we found Esau and he's coming to say hello. And that doesn't sound too bad. Maybe Jacob even started to feel a little bit optimistic. But there's just one more thing. He's bringing an army. Jacob is now terrified. The brother that he's going to meet has 400 men with him. You don't bring 400 men with you unless you mean business, right? And Jacob is scared. Verse 7 says that he was in great fear and distress. And so, in response, he does three things. First of all, verse 7, he splits his family into two groups. So that if Esau comes and attacks one of them, well, the other one can escape and live. Practically speaking, that seems like a pretty good idea, right? There's no point in letting everyone die. Well, some people can survive. It's a good idea. But what's really interesting here is that in the original language, verse 7 says that Jacob divided the family into two camps. Now, remember where Jacob is? He's at Mahanaim, the place that he called two camps. He has just seen a camp of God's protective angels. But now he tries to protect himself and seemingly replace God's camp with his own. 
In great fear and distress, Jacob divides the family into two camps. That's the first thing he does. But secondly, he prays. That's actually new for Jacob. This is the first time in Genesis that we see Jacob praying. The author records plenty of other people praying, but this is the first time that Jacob prays. And his prayer is an absolute cracker. If you want to learn to pray, pray like Jacob does here. Have a look at it. It's worth noting, first of all, who Jacob prays to. He prays to the God of Abraham and Isaac. He's praying to the God who has a track record of being faithful to his promises. It's worth noting how he prays because he prays with humility. He says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. But most importantly, it's worth noting what Jacob actually prays. Because Jacob prays God's promises back to him. He prays for what God has already said that he will do. He says, God, you told me to do this. You told me to travel back to the land. You told me you'd protect me. You told me you would bless me. So do what you promised me you would save me. Now, I don't know what kinds of things you pray for, and I'm not here to discourage you from asking God for anything. God loves it when you come to him and depend on him in prayer. But if you want to pray prayers that you can be confident that God will answer, if you want to pray prayers that God loves to answer, friends, pray his promises back to him. God has promised you that he will give you wisdom if you ask it. So ask him for it. God has promised you that he will persevere his children to the end. So ask him for perseverance. God has promised you forgiveness if you turn to him. So ask him for it. And friends, if you're here this morning, if you're not someone who follows Jesus... You can pray to him today the same prayer that Jacob prayed. Save me, Lord. And you can know with 100% confidence he will answer your prayer. He won't ignore you. He will not reject you. He has promised that he will save all those who turn to him for forgiveness. Friends, pray God's promises back to him because the things that God has promised are the very best things that God wants for you you can pray about your job you can pray about the things that are stressing you out but the thing that God loves to give you are the things that he's told you he will give you so pray for them but back to Jacob first he divides his family into two two camps secondly he prays to God for his protection Thirdly, he makes a plan to pacify Esau with gifts. And he gives him a lot of gifts. Do you see? He sends him goats and sheep and camels and cows and donkeys, one herd after another. And it's almost as if he's just hoping that he'll, he'll tire Esau out. He's just sending him so much stuff that maybe eventually Esau's anger will just subside as he gets richer and richer with all these gifts. 
There's three things that Jacob does in great fear and distress. He's worried about what Esau is going to do. Keen to hear what you think, though. Is is Jacob trusting God in this situation? Have a think about it. God has promised to be with Jacob. He's promised to return him safely to the land of Canaan. He's reassured him of his presence and protection by sending a camp of angels to meet with him. And in response, Jacob divides his family into two, prays an excellent prayer, and then tries to pacify Esau with gifts. Are they the things that someone who trusts God would do? What do you think? Honestly, show of hands, who thinks that Jacob is trusting God? Be brave. Just, just. Who thinks that he's not trusting God? Who doesn't know? Yeah. I don't think we can know. Jacob's prayer makes me think that Jacob trusts God completely. It's a golden prayer. But then his actions sort of seem to raise some question marks, don't they? Now, I don't think we necessarily need to know But what happens next is important because what happens next shows us that as far as God is concerned, Jacob is still a work in progress. Because scene three is the one that helps us make sense of this whole story, if we can understand it. Because scene three begins like a scene from a horror film, doesn't it? It's dark, Jacob's alone, He sent his family ahead of him across the river. He sent all his gifts ahead to Esau. He's by himself in the dark when all of a sudden, bang, a mysterious figure sneaks up and attacks. And then they start wrestling. And they wrestle and wrestle and wrestle. It keeps going all night, through the night, into the dawn. And Jacob won't give up. He's wrestling with this mysterious figure. Well, his opponent realises that he can't defeat him and so he touches Jacob's hip and disables him. I don't know exactly what to make of that. Either this opponent is so strong that he can just touch a hip and cause pain. I'm not quite sure. But Jacob is in pain, but he's not done. You see, his opponent tries to escape But Jacob refuses to let go without first receiving his blessing. Now, that's probably not what I would ask for when someone's beating me up, but, you know, each to their own. But Jacob seems to know there's something different about this person that he's wrestling with, doesn't he? Jacob demands his opponent to give him his blessing, and he gets it. Jacob's antagonist gives him a new name. He calls him Israel, which means God strives. And it's at this point that Jacob is convinced that he has been wrestling with none other than God himself. He says, I have seen God's face, and yet somehow I've prevailed. And so it's with this victory under his belt, with God's blessing, with his new name, that Israel now goes to face his brother Esau. But we're going to press pause there. 
because we need to ask the question, what the heck has just happened? What does this mean? Oh, that one. Why, in the middle of a story about Jacob going to meet his brother, does God step in to have a wrestle? Here's what I think. The reason God wrestles with Jacob is to teach Jacob to trust him. Now, you see, Jacob's come a long way in his life, hasn't he? He's come a long way from the scheming little snotball who, you know, just was horrible to his own family. He used to hold God off at a distance. He called God your God when he was speaking to his dad. He wasn't really that interested in God. But over the years, your God became my God. He started to trust God. As God revealed his grace to him more and more, Jacob started to lean on him. He's come a long way, but he's got a long way to go. Because he's still hedging his bets here, isn't he? He's praying to God, expressing his trust in God, but at the same time, he's trying to manipulate things to his favour. He still doesn't trust God fully. And the only way that God can bring Jacob to trust him is to break him. I don't know much about the military, but I'm told by some of my friends who have served in the army that the first thing the army does to you is break you. And it's deliberate. The only way for a new recruit to become a good soldier is to be broken to learn to trust their fellow soldier and to listen to their commanding officer without fail. Well, it's a bit like that with God's people. Friends, the only way that we can learn to trust God is to first be broken. We need to have our self-confidence shattered. We need to have our own weakness exposed. We need to be broken so that we might look outside of ourselves for strength. And friends, that's exactly what God does here with Jacob. He wrestles with Jacob. He opposes Jacob. He brings Jacob to the point of weakness, to the point of helplessness, to a point of utter desperation. He cripples Jacob to teach him that he won't succeed by plotting or scheming or planning or strategizing. The only way to a life of blessing, the only way to gain what God has promised is to cling to God and not let go and to beg him for his grace. Dale Ralph Davis puts it like this. He says, Here is a man who has made his way by trickery and deception, by conniving and self-sufficiency. And now this shadowy foe brings Jacob to the point where he wants Jacob to be. Desperation. He brings him to the point of helplessness, where he realises that blessing cannot come from his own plans and sweat and fast moves, but only by begging and pleading for it from God. 
Friends, the reason God wrestles with Jacob is to show Jacob that trusting God is the only way to get what God promises. And so the irony of the story is that while Jacob won the wrestling match, his prize was to be broken. The thing that made Jacob a winner was realizing that he was a loser. Which is why in Hosea 12, the prophet picks up this story and he says that Jacob struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. In Hosea's mind, overcoming the angel looked like weeping and begging. That doesn't sound much like a victory, does it? But it's precisely the victory that Jacob needed. And it's precisely the victory that we need. The lesson that Jacob learned from wrestling with God is a lesson that we need to learn too. Now, I don't know if you've experienced the pain of wrestling with God. Some of you have. Some of you may be in that right now. For some of you, the reason that you're a Christian today is because God broke you. He humbled you. He opposed you. He took your plans and he upset them. He took your security and he shattered it. He took your joy and he exposed its emptiness. And that is a painful process, isn't it? It hurts. Like Jacob, it may have even left you crippled. You might have hated God at the time for putting you through it. But friends, in the end, God uses that to grow you. He teaches you to cling to him and find grace. Friends, the title for my sermon this morning is that God gives grace to the humbled. He gives grace to the humble, but sometimes God's grace actually does the work of humbling us. That's what God did for Jacob. He humbled him to teach him to trust in God for his grace. And so in scene four, we see the impact that it had. Because as Jacob goes out to meet Esau, this time it looks a little different. This time Jacob goes first. The women and children go behind and there's no plotting, there's no scheming, there's no plan or safety net. Jacob faces up to his brother, the brother that he has wronged. And Jacob finds grace. Instead of hurting Jacob, Esau runs to meet him. Instead of anger, there is weeping as Esau embraces Jacob and kisses him. Instead of revenge, there is reconciliation. Now, Jacob hasn't pacified Esau with the gifts. Esau doesn't even want the gifts. Jacob hasn't plotted and schemed. The reason that Jacob enjoys reconciliation is because God has done what he has promised. Friends, God wrestled with Jacob to bring him to the point of trust. And when Jacob trusted God, he experienced reconciliation with his brother. But while peace in the family is good, 
This passage reminds us of an even greater reconciliation. Because just as God wrestled with Jacob to make him depend on God for his grace, God, in his love for us, he wrestles with us, he opposes us, he even crushes us to make us see that we will never gain God's eternal blessings on our own steam. We might even be like Jacob approaching Esau, trying to appease God with a long train of gifts. We might go to God with our, with our merits, with our efforts, with our good works, hoping that we might find grace. And God crushes our self-sufficiency. He destroys our pride. He breaks our self-righteousness. But he does it all so that we might cling to Jesus and find real grace. And friends, when we do that, we get the sort of reconciliation that Jacob enjoyed. Because like the father in Jesus' parable of the lost son, God comes to us running. He embraces us, he kisses us, he weeps over us, he welcomes us back as if we'd never been apart. And friends, we enjoy living face to face with God forever. Let me pray. Father God, we've learned today that you are a God who wrestles with us. A God who is not passive, but a God who is active, who, who opposes us, who breaks us, who kills our self-sufficiency, who kills our self-righteousness. That you are a God who wrestles with us and opposes us so that we might find your grace. Father, help us to see your work in our lives. Help us to see when we experience the test, the temptation, the trial. Help us to know that you are working to grow us, that you are helping to teach us to trust you. Lord, keep us from despairing, keep us from thinking that, we don't, that you don't love us. Help us to know that it is by your love that you are humbling us so that we might cling to you for grace. Lord, help us to trust you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.